It's the TX Water Polo Podcast. I'm James Smith in Austin, and he's Joe, and he is in San Antonio, finally. Hi, Joe. James, how are you doing? Joe, man, we just talked about something that's so fun, and we can't mention it yet. <laughs> like I, I can't tell you how much I want to talk about that, because we'll it's so cool. We'll talk about it in a, in a couple of weeks. So. I know. Yeah. The stuff that we talk about off the air is so fun. But anyway, uh, we'll get to that. Um, yeah, we're so a couple a, a bit of uh, of, of uh, sort of uh, schedule making is again we're going to take the next couple of weeks off um, in, in this format. I think we're going to have some interviews that we'll push out there uh, by week, and you know we'll we'll touch base with everybody about that. But I'm leaving. I'm going out of town. It's my wife's 50th birthday. We're going all over the place, all the way up to Delaware. So yeah, I'm gone. I'm not gonna, and I I don't even think I'm going to bring my mic with me. That's okay. Yeah, but yeah. you're but you're gonna bring your computer so you can edit my interviews that are gonna happen in the next couple of weeks. That's true. I'm not gonna edit them well, but I am gonna edit them. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna the quality is gonna suffer because I will be on vacation. That's okay. The, the, this is not the highest quality anyway, James. <laughs> what are you talking about? This, <laughs> this like, didn't we win an Emmy or something? I don't think so. Yeah. No, no. Mm-hmm. I I, I uh, never get tired of telling people how this, this is different not, life. Not okay. a good podcast. Not a good podcast. Yeah. All right. Um, biggest news perhaps so far is uh, UIL announcing um, what's going on this fall for football and volleyball in particular, but also other sports. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong. It's like not starting until September 7th. The championships and this is tentative, right? I mean, and then championships pushed off to December um, and then some other details too, but you know, this, this doesn't necessarily have a direct effect on water polo kind of sort of does, but it's really more about just where we are as far as sports are, are, are concerned all throughout the state, uh, at the high school level. Yeah. So things are, things are being pushed off a little bit and delayed and postponed. I don't think anything's been canceled, which is great. Um, but yeah, so, um, first practices of the fall season for the team sports, which are volleyball and football are going to be the week of and then normally their championships are in November and December. So now their championships are going to be December, January. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Um, yeah. And it covers tennis, cross country, volleyball, football. Yeah, that's it. And then, and, uh, and, and that, but, but there's also other uh, UIL activities such as, you know, band and marching band and, yeah, and those type of things as well, which are also being kind of, kind of delayed until September 7th. Yeah. Before we started talking, Joe schooled me on the differences between all of these conference levels i didn't even realize 6a was an invention in like 2014 i think you said that i uh, anyway that escaped me but <clears throat> anyhow all right so um and then just even more recently it was something to the effect that like on august 3rd and this i think has something more to do with football than anything else but you know they're going to expand the number of hours that people can train um and 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 you i think you might have an opinion about just like this this seems like guidance more than it's some sort of mandate, right? Well, I mean, yeah. So the, the UAL does provide guidance to the school districts, and then the school districts can interpret what the UAL says and then make their own decisions. So, but I but I believe that the UAL is going is going to allow the sport uh, like the strength and conditioning camps and the sport specific training throughout until in person instruction starts. So, um, which, which in this case would be up to like, like, I guess, September 4th for like football and volleyball. I don't know if you wanted to talk about anything else related to UIL stuff. We're going to talk later about, um, CIF in California. Uh, well, actually in a couple minutes here, but, uh, um, you know, th- it's all, uh, they're not synchronized in the sense that, uh, you know, the water polo seasons for sure are different for now. 
Um, but the CIF will often be the take the lead in certain ways. Um, I'm sure the UIL would dispute that, but at least they're indicating something. So anyway, we'll we'll get to them in a second. And before then, Austin College. I know this for a fact because I got two assistant coaches. We're both student athletes there, and they're leaving by August 17, I think. So they are going back to school, but the men's season has been postponed or suspended. Um, so what's the current status, and who's been driving that process? I don't know who's been driving it, but, I mean, that's just – that's kind of like – that started with the Ivy Leagues a couple of weeks ago where the yeah. Ivy League decided to postpone their season uh, uh, the spring for all their all their fall sports and water polo included. Um, I believe the CBPA has also postponed their men's season yet out of the spring or at some later date. Um, and then there's been some schools in California that have done it too. I don't think there's any, there hasn't been a specific conference that has done it, but there have been some schools like, you know, oh, kind of, kind of Pomona Pitzer and Whittier have postponed their, yeah, like their season. So whoever's playing for men's water polo later in the year, there's going to be other teams to play. Right. It's just now it's, now it's, now the interesting dynamic there is, all right, well, if, Half the teams are playing in the spring and the other half are playing in the fall. When is the NCAA championship? Right. Yeah. Oh, and, that's, and that's just in or, – or the other schools going to also be pushed, yeah, to the spring as well. So, I mean, it's – there's a lot of kind of moving parts and it changes almost daily. Can you imagine the men's and women's playing at the same time in the spring? I mean, it could happen. It's just yeah. the logistics is, involved would be that amazing. Is, that is, that is going to be challenging for the uh, – like the coaches, especially the coaches that are like, there's a, there's a, there's one head coach for men and women. Yeah, exactly. And they may, and they may not even have assistant coaches. So, well, we were um, talking about Austin college yeah. and Mark and uh, Mark's assistant, Jeff Passwater and he, and, and, and uh, you know, I mean, theoretically they would just split them, split the teams. I don't know if that for a fact, but it's just some that we can speculate on, but at least they're lucky to have an assistant. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's definitely gonna be a challenge, but I mean, these are, I mean, we hope that this is all just a one year type, you know, delay. And obviously, you know, kind of playing a full season is better than what happened to the spring sports this past school year. Yeah. Which were just kind of cut off kind of, kind of halfway through their season and no one wants to see that again. Yeah. And, um, and that's, and that's my fear as far as, you know, kind of, kind of locally here for the UIL in high school. Well, we have our fall sports that are, that have been postponed. Are the winter sports going to be postponed? Yeah, exactly. And then yep. is swimming going to be postponed to the spring? Cause if swimming's postponed in the spring, then that's going to put us, that's going to put a significant, dent into the high school water pool season that and then the high school water pool season they may have to move back to may june or something right so, yeah so which is which is which is fine i i i think we've all just talked about it just be responsible you know yeah. so and this is everybody i mean these are first world problems we're talking about right so um there's a lot of people are dealing with a lot worse things out there so um and you know this is what we have to do and just yeah and just kind of adjust and adapt as we move forward if you go to Harvard, you got to pay 50 grand and you can sit at home like you can't go to campus. I mean, that's that's how different things are. Exactly. Um, yeah. And we reported on Total Water Polo before um, when the season was canceled by Skyac. And so there's a couple of schools that will often take the lead in that. But I suspect that Skyac will follow. I don't have any information on that at all. But uh, but that's my suspicion. So, yeah, they would just add themselves to the to the group. So, yeah, that's disappointing. But um, at the same time, the CIF has come down with even more severe restrictions. They're not I mean, the, the, their season for water polo is essentially in a couple of weeks is when it would normally start for training. 
But now they're talking, you know, both boys and girls would be last, would be state championships would be in March or regional championships, rather district championships. Yeah. So they're changing everything. Yeah. So that's, so that's what it looks like. So if you look at what the CIF and for those that don't know, the CIF is basically the California version of our UIL. Yeah. Um, and um, basically the, all the fall sports are pretty much starting in December for practices yep. and competitions. So basically they took the winter sports and they, and they either made them a fall sport or a, or a spring sport. Right. So all the fall sports now are going to be going from December to March. And then the spring sports are going from March till June. Yeah. So there will be a little kind of like, you know, I was kind of, I saw it's kind of interesting that water polo championships are going to be late March, but swimming, the first swim meet can happen in early March. Yeah. So there's going to be a little overlap there. So, I mean, but that's, again, people have to adjust and adapt. So, um, but yeah, I mean, this is the, this is what people are going are to have to do kind of moving forward. So it's just kind of very interesting on how they're like the difference between what the CIF did to what the UIL did. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a pretty severe change. By the way, the, the, in California, at least, there's there's a little more um, uh, sort of separation between swim and polo. So the overlap, of course, it's going to catch up a few people and one, they'll have to make decisions. But uh, in general, based on my experience there, then there are those who are dedicated to water polo, you know, basically uh, all year long. So that shouldn't be as big a problem, but still. This whole, this schedule, as you just said, uh, is uh, very compacted and uh, obviously, hopefully, a one-time thing. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Did you see that uh, one of the sports offered by the CIF is skiing and snowboarding? We got to get in on that. Uh, yeah. But the bigger thing is. Oh yeah, that's not a big thing. Okay. <laughs> the bigger thing is how how is that going to affect the national national junior Olympics now? Yeah, so that's something that we can talk about next because we'll go, we'll, we're going to cover that, and then there are other events that are on the calendar that, that may be shifted, may not be shifted, but we'll talk about that and a little bit more when we come back. All of TX Water Polo is brought to you advertising-free, and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to txwaterpolo.com forward slash give so we can keep covering the sport we love in the Lone Star State. Hi, this is Brenda Villa, four-time Olympic medalist, and whenever I want to hear about Texas water polo, I tune in to the TX Water Polo Podcast. James, Joe, back with you. The um, We're going to move on to more Texas news, really. Um, there are more clubs getting back in the pool. Um, I mean, a big one, actually, really up in North Texas. Um, but we just wanted to go over them just real quick about the, the changes and who's in and who's out as far as we know. And by the way, if you are back in practicing, then let us know. Pod at TXWaterPolo.com. But um, who, who is the newest addition? And, and actually, you, you have an intimate knowledge of one of the teams. Um, I don't know about that. But, like, I mean, it's – um, yeah, so I have a couple of development teams in, in North Texas, so they're hopefully going to get back in the water this upcoming Monday on July 27th. That's the Lone Star and Mavericks groups. Um, we were hoping to get back in July 13th and July 6th, but that, but that was pushed back. But we've been told for sure that we're hopefully going to be getting in here uh, July 27th. I'm crossing my fingers. Um, and then Thunders, I think, has started practice here in July, which is one of the bigger clubs up in North Texas. And also Caltown started back in late June, so. 
So Thunder is practicing some interesting places. Where are those? Like that's just I think both uh both Thunder and Caltown are kind of kind of using like you know the city or or the or the neighborhood HOA pools. What's the theme park? Isn't there one that the Thunder oh, yeah. practices? Yeah, they are they are practicing at Hawaiian Falls. Hawaiian Falls, that's the one. Yeah. So they are using the wave pool, you know, before they open <laughs> at yeah. ten o'clock. So I think they're there from like. 8.30 or 8 to 9.30 or something like that. Oh, I didn't know. They should just turn on the wave machine and just practice like that. It'll be That's like when we used to play in the ocean. Absolutely. Yeah, then you get a whole lot less done in there. And, and, I'm, and I'm sure it's not cheap what they're charging. So they want to maximize that pool time. So I know. There's one of those in, um, in it's, I think it's in Pflugerville up around Round Rock where we practice. But yeah, they had no interest in water polo. But anyway, we're lucky enough to be in the pool. Your club is getting back in. Your pool is a community or a a district pool correct school district pool, school district pool yeah. so go over i mean because you have insights into that kind of thing more than i think anybody um it's one thing to say you know all these teams why don't they just hop back in the pools well my team has been back in since may 18 and the way that our pool is run is just simply different than other municipal or whatever community pools and, and so what's what are the differences right i mean finding a private place is the quote easiest, but what other considerations do teams have to make? So there's three types of pools. There's a private pool of kind of a public pool, which is kind of like a city pool and also a school district type pool. So, um, so what I found just talking to, to, to like the different clubs, you know, the private pools are easily, they're easier to access right? just because there's a little bit less kind of concern about the overall, you know, kind of like, you know, I hate to say less concern about the safety guidelines. The clubs are doing their, there are doing their social distancing and they're, and they're not doing contact. They're, yeah, they're staying, they're doing all like, you know, the, uh, like, like the temperature and the checking. So that's, and that's, that's, that's what you're doing as well. It just seems that those are a little bit more easier to access and they're a little bit more flexible on the ability to use the pools. Um, and then there's the city pools like yourself that, you know, there are some city pools that have been shut down completely. Right. Since kind of kind of since April. Then there's yours that you were the like you at Aquatex were the last group to stop practicing and the first group to practice. I think so. That's obviously, right. Aquatex is kind is kind of using a facility where your city is allowing you to do a little bit more than other cities are. Yeah. You know, and then but from what I gather for school districts, school districts have been very very keen about not letting people use their facilities in general not just in not just swim teams or water pool teams but any facility right so um and that's you know because they have to they they get mandates not just from the city and the county and the state but they also get mandates from the tea and the uil yeah and they're political bodies i mean i don't mean that again i don't mean that pejoratively i mean that's a that's genuinely the case is that they have pressures that other organizations might not and then clearly there are differences between those kinds of bodies like they they have you know they they can deal with things differently so it's it's really interesting no yeah so i mean it's just it's there are more rules in place and then you know there are guidelines that are put down by the uil and ta and then each school district can then determine how they interpret those guidelines and there have been some school districts that have let clubs use their facilities but they're not very many right and then uh, was it um and so i'm very very fortunate to be able to to have my developmental club up in north texas be able to start practicing again which is great um but like you know it's 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 kind of like look at what happened in yeah in uh, round rock right you guys have a pool that has been opened 
more than any, yeah, just more than any other pool that I know of. But your school district was the first school district in the area. You had to say that they were going to do at home learning. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, there's just two different groups there. Two different groups. What are you going to do for practice? I'm curious. Like you, you're the one who told me about how, you know, playing ultimate essentially, or what are you going to, what are your plans? I mean, it's, it's going to be, or what are your restrictions? The restrictions, we're just basically going to use the restriction that we were going to, that we, that we were planning on for July 6th and July 13th is, you know, we're going to have groups of about, about 12 to 15 okay. and we're going to have one or two coaches kind of per group. Um, and it's going to be basically about like, we have to, the kids have to get there at 150 that are meeting up in the stands and everybody's is six feet apart. They have to come in their suit. They have to leave in their suit. Yep. There's no, there's no using the locker rooms, only using the bathrooms for uh, emergencies. Um, so everybody meets and then we'll get in the water um, and do, you know, like, like water pole type conditioning, not really swimming, but, but, you know, water pole conditioning, and then we'll do passing and then we'll do shooting all, you know, staying, you know, the, like, like the social distancing. Right. And then that'll cover about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Cause we're going to have to be out of the pool by about three 30. Cause all the kids have to be out the door by oh, three, yeah. five yeah. to allow the next group to yet to come in. So got it. Yeah. It's, it's been so fascinating to see. And by the way, there's a bunch of teams in California that are getting back in the pool all throughout the country, Ohio, mm-hmm. elsewhere, you know, in fact, I, Ohio might even have uh I thought I heard somebody say that they were actually allowing body contact, which is unique because we're not allowed to do that. But um, again, so every it's just like here, every every city and school district and county are different. Yep. Every state's different, too. So it's pretty cool. And it's, it's hard to keep cool. track of, you know, who's playing and who's not and who can and yeah and who won't. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, I know the UIL had a rule starting July 13th that, you know, that the sports specific training can start doing offense versus defense. Okay. So, but what does that mean? Does that mean that they can do kind of a full blown scrimmage? Is it a one-on-one drills? Now that, that that's on, that's probably for more football than anything else, but how does that transfer? You get to the pool. Can we allow contact now? Who knows? But then, but then even if you are allowed to do contact, is that something that your club is ready to do yet? Yeah, exactly. It's because I suspect that if I really wanted to, I could. But, but then mean, are I'm you going to lose athletes and yeah. parents who are yeah. who are who they're OK with their kids doing kind of what you're doing right now. But once you cross that line, or, oh, I don't know if I want my kid to do that. Oh, I'm not comfortable about it myself because if I, you know, I, you know, I read the data like it's the chances of these kids getting sick in a meaningful way are pretty low. But if they do, it's not good. It's like I don't that I'm not interested in that. So. Yeah, we're we're sticking to the rules until we are told otherwise, you know. So yeah, exactly. So it's 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 all up there. So yeah. Okay. Um, just a couple. Of, so Cowtown has been back in the pool since late June, I think. Um, we were just talking about clubs around the the state. You know, uh, my friends at Longhorn, they're completely shut down because UT is just there's just nothing going on in that pool, as far as my understanding. Um, Southside was in their pool, then had to leave, and then are back or it back at a different location I'm, I'm, I'm unclear about I, that i think they're back and then i think again their pool is run by the city i think they got shut down again i'm not sure if they're back in yet okay okay so yeah but we did know that they were they were uh and they, and, and and i say that they got shut down i think it's more like the whole facility got shut down right yeah i was gonna say they got kicked out you know it's not really the right way to put it it's the the facility was closed so they, you know they were they, they couldn't practice anymore. So exactly. and then Triumph is practicing there. Storm, I think, is starting to practice this week again. 
Okay. Um, and then um, I think Cy Fair Water Polo Club is using some uh, HOA pools and some okay. neighborhood pools, and they're going to start practicing here in the next week or so. Great. And then the Vipridgens are still out there kind of searching kind of a little bit. So I don't think they're practicing just yet. But, um, but yeah, there's a ton of, there's a ton of water pool going on in Houston. So it's good. Thankfully. Yeah. Thankfully. Okay. Good news. Um, so that translates a little bit into, um, what we're, you know, the, the, the calendar upcoming for USA water polo events is, uh, obviously very fluid, but, um, as of right now, welcome to Texas shootout is on the calendar and there's no change to that. As of right now, no, we're, we're, we're moving forward. I, I know I'm talking to a lot of clubs that are really excited about going to that event, so it is Labor Day weekend in San Antonio. We're, we're hoping that, you know, again, everything changes kind of daily. We're hoping that we get the approval to have the event, and we're going to be hopefully one of the first events that is played uh, nationwide. Right. It's so weird because, again, you and I have spoken, and my fixation is on um, body contact, and which is basically not allowed. And so it's just so strange to think that that's going to just turn around like that, that whichever entity oversees the facility or the event or whatever is going to say, yes, I mean, full on scrim, you know, full on body contact, offense, defense. Um, And then even if they did do that or that when they do that, that means, are you going to be able to train that way up until the point of the tournament? Or are you just going to have to train like we have been and then just jump in and do your best? I know those are the questions that are going to be answered here in the next couple of weeks, but you go out there, you, yeah. And you see basketball tournaments, you see, like you see soccer tournaments. That's you true. See, like you see softball tournaments that are going on actively yep. with and without masks being worn. I'm not saying that that's what we want to do is water polo right now, but these are the conversations that are, that are going on behind the scenes. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and I, and I hope that we can get back in the water. Cause I think it would be good for the kids to have, an event to, to look forward to and oh, for sport. sure. Um, but you know, again, I only want to do that event if it's going to be the right thing to do. Yeah. I mean, exactly. and it's, and, and, and it's safe and responsible. So, Oh, my guys are dying to play in that. I just, well, so am I, their coaches want them to go to. So, Oh gosh, I hope it still happens. Um, JO's also is up in the air. I mean, um, it's well, it's it's on the calendar still, so it hasn't changed. But uh, just given what happened with CIF, it seems to me that there's probably going to have to be some changes in the way that that's held. Um, again, that's I have no evidence of that. I'm just saying. Um, but the you know the CIF change is pretty big. Like you know their their season is going to be starting essentially in December when JO's for 18 and unders was supposed to be. So do you, what do you know about that, if anything? I don't know anything. So it's pure speculation. Um, Obviously the CIF stuff only came down yesterday. So I'm sure there's conversations that are going on in the home office right now. And I'm sure it'll expand to coaches, clubs and people across the country and to see what everybody wants and does. And I I thought it was pretty outside the box thinking to postpone JOs to week and the Christmas. I I thought that was great. Um, Now, like obviously if the CIF, boys and girls seasons are going to be starting from December to, you know, March, it might be tough to have an 18 and 16 and under, uh, divisions mm-hmm. being played during Christmas break. Right. So, I mean, so that's pure speculation. Um, there, there can always be exemptions, you know, for clubs and stuff like that, that happen. But, uh, you know, 
they can do a lot of different things. They can move the 1816s to Thanksgiving yeah, week, or they can flip-flop the events. Yeah. You know, they can eventually maybe just postpone the events or, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen, you know, so, and, and, and I don't think anything's off the table right now. So, yeah. But another point is that, you know, again, access to facilities, right? So, I mean, if the, if these schools and out there, they're, they're, some are school district, but they're also just ones that are on campuses, you know, individual high school campuses. Um, and, and college campuses that are not very accessible right now either. Exactly. And so whether – even if uh, – and hopefully JOs goes on as planned, like our teams in California in particular are going to be able to train beforehand. So, yeah, it's uh, – so much stuff is up in So here. it's access to not just the facilities to actually have the event – it's also access again for uh, as you were just mentioning to all of those clubs that are training. Yeah, to train. It's the, it's the same thing that we have to talk about for, for the Welcome to Texas Shootout. Yeah. Do we have access to have the event, and then do our teams actually training accordingly to be able to prepare properly, kind of kind of for the event? Right. These are all questions that are to be determined. To so. be determined. All right. Um. We're gonna come back. We're gonna have. I'm. I'm gonna put this out there. We're hoping to have a conversation with Kate and Caitlin Kelly, who's the head coach at Saint Agnes and who's a recent addition to our ODP staff. But one of the things that's interesting about that is that there are. I think you have more details on efforts to allow for those teams that aren't gonna compete in under UIL. And again, for those who don't understand, maybe from out of the state, UIL is public schools with two exceptions. Um, which is a funny story in and itself, but every other, you know, parochial school and others have to compete in these two other leagues, TAPS and SPS. And that's where St. Agnes and St. Mark's reside. And, uh, and there's, I guess, a little more movement if I'm not correct, uh, or if I'm correct about, uh, their com- competition. I think that, I don't know if there's, again, everything is kind of fluid now, but our goal is to specifically have a Tisca Water Polo um, sponsored um, a parochial private school and homeschool uh, championship in oh, the fall cool. of 2021. Okay. So therefore those schools can still play in the tournaments that happen in the fall of 2021 against UIL teams. But once everybody starts breaking out to their district play and they go into their playoffs, that there will still be a different track for those teams to continue to play and have a championship to play for. And then the hope is over three, four or five years that eventually we have enough teams that are in there that TAPS can break off. TAPS is the Texas Association of Private and Parochial Schools that, you know, that, that Caitlin's team at St. Agnes is part of. Mm-hmm. That eventually we get like a handful of those boys and girls teams to then break off and they can have their own state championship. And then we do this like, you know, the same thing for SBC, which is which is where St. Mark's is part of. Yes. Um, that, you know. They break off and then they have their own state championship and then we and then we build up the like the homeschool teams so we just don't have you know the one or two teams that are out there right now we have you know multiple homeschool teams around the state and then they can have a Texas state homeschool championship yeah that'd be really cool so everybody will have a championship to play and so everybody can play at the beginning of the season together then the second half of the season is going to be kind of within your own little group so yeah so that's what we're hoping to do. Yeah, that's going to be really cool. I hope that pull, they, we can pull that off somehow. And uh, I'll talk with Caitlin about that. Again, I was hoping to line that up either today or tomorrow. Um, and uh, and she can talk about what 
what's going to happen with her team. I mean, again, it's a very successful program that's been competitive at, in Tisco water polo for ages. And suddenly they're without, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to compete for a state championship under UIL rules. So it's going to be very interesting to know what she says about her upcoming seasons. And we'll be back with that right after this. Hi, this is Natalie Benson, and you are listening to a podcast about water polo in Texas. She was a 1999 Tisco water polo most valuable player. She was the MVP at Iona for two years. She was the MAC Offensive Player of the Year for two years as well. Although we have to go over that. Maybe uh, Caitlin is so modest that she doesn't remember whether it's one or both years. <laughs> and now she's the head coach at St. Agnes Academy and has been coaching at Viper Pigeon. I think on and off, we're going to go into that. But here she is, Caitlin Kelly. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, I love it. She, we're not going to show the video here, but she's in her car. <laughs> I actually don't look too bad. I just got a haircut. But uh, yeah, she, you know, we're, we're just doing audio because I have a face for radio. So there you go. So um, we wanted to talk to you, uh, obviously, because you've had a bunch of success uh, at St. Agnes and, and elsewhere, but you have an interesting story as a Texas player. So, but, but let me go first into this. Like, what are the plans for St. Agnes this fall that you can share with everybody? Uh, in terms of going back to school right. or, yeah. Um, so I think we're sort of in the same limbo as everybody else. Um, our administrators are diligently working every single day and making new plans with the moving target every single day. Um, our plan is, our, their full desire, I think, is to go start in a hybrid model on August 17th, um, where we have kind of like a half and half thing with our students on campus. Mm -hmm. But again, nobody really knows exactly what's going to happen. So um We'll be in school starting August 17th, as students will. Whether or not that's remotely or in-person is to be determined. And then for athletics, it's sort of um, falling along the same line. So TAPS has released all of their um, guidelines and basically we'll start athletics in September, essentially. Um, August will be considered kind of like an off-season summer rules um, program, I guess. Um, but again, that's also a moving target. We just got an email yesterday saying they would update us again since UIL just updated yesterday. Right, so exactly. Yep. Update after update. Yep. It's Wednesday that we're uh, having a conversation. Um, the UIL just came out with a decision just a while ago. What does all of that mean for you personally in the sense that, you know, you're, you're on campus, you're a teacher, you're a coach, so on. Like how, how does that affect what you're doing on campus, so to speak? So I guess we don't, <laughs> I don't really have a great answer for that because, you know, it's a, kind of a new normal. So um, I know we are, like I said, working diligently to make sure that the curriculum is in place and that our students are getting the best education that they can and what they expect from St. Agnes. So um, we're, we're kind of just rolling with all of the punches really and, um, you know, for athletics, I don't really know what it's going to look like. I know we're focusing on our fall sports right now. So um, I just actually got uh, the job of the associate athletic director at St. Agnes. Oh, congratulations. So new, yeah, yeah thanks. I'm in a new role there. So I'm also kind of seeing the, the um, inside out of all of our athletics right now. So that's kind of where our focus is, is fall athletics and how we're going to make those happen. So 
um, our day-to-day -day is right now just meetings and updates and hopefully we'll be you know rolling out our curriculums on august 17th so, so athletically just remind everybody where do you practice we practice uh we rent space from the jesuit uh from strict jesuit next door okay. so and, and yeah. I'm, I, I wanted to know that because that's a private institution, it's a private pool. Are there any plans whatsoever in any form, whether it's club, high school, whatever, to get into that pool as far as you know? As far as I know, not, no. Okay. Um, I, don't, I have not heard any updates about access practices beginning, things like that. So in, as you know, um, Jesuit is a UIL school, so yeah. they fall under UIL rules as well. So. Um, it's a double-edged sword, right? <laughs> they, right. And right. years ago, that's one of the most interesting stories of all of Texas high school sports, in my opinion. It's like, well, there's a private school. Why is it part of UIL? It's like, <laughs> because they <laughs> found the legislators to actually change the uh, the directives from the UIL. Anyway, they're very funny. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so, let's move ahead. So, um, what is your understanding as of now, and we have, we're a long way away, but what does it look like for you and saying that St. Agnes water polo in the fall of 2021 when the sport does become a UIL sport? Yeah, that's a really great question as well. Um, we're going to have a team regardless. Our athletic department in our school is super supportive of athletics. We have a really, St. Agnes has a long history of water polo. Um, women, we've been around since um, the 80s, maybe even a little sooner. The numbers or the dates are a little bit um blurry but um we will still have a, a team um who we're gonna play tbd um i know i've spoken with joe and he is adamant about getting a private school or private and parochial school kind of league going we were supposed to present at the taps conference this summer about it and uh scott slay was going to be there as well to try to get it going and the taps conference got canceled so right. um i think we had to pump the brakes a little bit on that piece of it but the goal i think is to have a couple of teams if not more i mean as many as possible um private school teams playing in the fall so that we'll have somebody to play once uil kind of gets into their championship season but we will still continue playing as many public schools that will play us um any tournaments that we can go to you know we'll travel if assuming we're allowed to travel and that all of these restrictions are lifted of course, but, right um i like to participate in competitive tournaments i would rather play a hundred really competitive games and lose them by a goal than win a hundred games by 10 goals, you know? So I, wherever the competition is, is where you will find us. I think. How about a trip to NorCal, Northern California during the fall? Uh, possibly, you know, potentially like that'll, we are, we are open. We usually travel to Florida. Actually, I take my girls oh, to yeah. Florida. Better choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, during, it's just that flex weekend where UIL state swimming is happening. Um, we usually travel and go to this tournament um in orlando and it's like our little we call it our dust off tournament and it's kind of like you know we just kind of get a feel for what's going on and it's become a little tradition so i mean we might have to obviously adjust um now that it's moving to the fall but we'll see that's great yeah i forgot about that and you know i'm always encouraged by teams that get out of the state not you know texas is huge so there's lots of opportunities yeah. to play here but it's always good to go see like how is this game played elsewhere so yeah and Florida is feisty, so you probably you probably come up against some pretty feisty players there. So, uh, all right. Me too, yeah. Um, let's let's now go backward. So, um, 
I don't typically like to start the conversation this way. There's a lot of interviews that go like, what's your background? But it, it would be interesting to know how'd you start, you know, because you've become a successful coach. You had a successful career. How did it all start? Um, so I grew up in San Antonio. I was a swimmer. I was club swimming for, you know, from an early age. And um, when we were in, when I was in middle school, seventh, grade-ish, eighth grade-ish, my club swim coach, Mark Ellie, he's from um, Canada, was a water polo guy. He's yeah, Joe and I spoke about him in detail, yeah. Yeah, so he actually, in between our short course and long course seasons, one time just dropped in some balls, made some goals out of PVC pipe, and I mean, we still had the flags back then, you know, the blue and the white flag, and we didn't know what we were doing. We were just a bunch <laughs> of swimmers swimming, chasing after a ball, and um but he kind of taught us the basics and then we went to a random tournament at A&M and Joe and I actually talked about this. He was hosting it. It was a club tournament that had some college teams and some clubs teams. And we all went not knowing what we were doing and knowing that we were just a bunch of fast swimmers and we ranged in ages and we ended up winning the tournament and we had a great, I mean, like we had a great time. I fell in love with it at that point. So I, um, you know, that was when I kind of shifted from a swimming mindset to a water polo mindset, I think. Um, oh, so winning that tournament of, actually changed your mind about the sport. Well, yeah, it just gave me like, I mean, I'd been swimming for so long and I was yeah. okay. I mean, I'm like not, no, definitely not, not a superstar <laughs> swimmer by any stretch of the imagination. I used to have ideas of grandeur when I was littler, but um, you know, it, it gave me a purpose for swimming and I just fell in love with it. And you know, that was, it was, it was fun. It was, you know, competitive and, you know, I think leveled up my swimming career. And then we found out at the end of my grade year that we were moving to Houston mm. and my dad got a job and we left. And my sister and I told my dad and my mom that the only way that we would move with them is that if we were able to move to a school that had water polo, because we knew that Houston had water polo. Um, and so luckily they agreed. And when we moved um, up here, they drove around the city and met with coaches and they met with a bunch of people and they really loved John Webb. And that's how we ended up moving into the Psy Creek subdivision, you know, the area. That's how, where we landed. So, yeah, you, um, you didn't choose poorly. Like you found a program yeah. that was going to have a lot of success. Yeah. That's, that's actually, yeah. wow. That's a, that's better parenting than I'm doing myself right now. So <laughs> yeah, that's really super interesting. And let's, let's, I wanted to sort of get right into that. Um, Cause again, you had a, a lot of success at Psy Creek. You won, at least, as far as I can see, two state championships, maybe no two, 1998, 1999. And you were MVP of the 1999 season. I have a question, which is, you've been around the game in Texas for quite some time. What is it that you have observed that has changed, improved, gotten worse since 1999 uh, up, uh, up until just this last spring? I mean, there's certainly more growth. There's more teams. Um, I think there's a more diverse um, level of playing, I guess. Back then, you know, there was like, really strong teams like powerhouse teams but there weren't as many of them I think one of the things that shocked me the most quite honestly when I started coaching when I kind of got back into it was um, going to Dallas for the first time and seeing some of the competitive Dallas teams because when I was playing Dallas water polo really didn't exist in a way that it does now like it wasn't as competitive and I was like really pleasantly surprised and also you know not annoyed but like okay this is where we need to be coming like this is you know they're so um, 
you know, I was, that's when I started going to Dallas every year. So, uh, you know, I, I was pleased with that. So um, I think beyond that, like there's obviously just the sport has grown a lot. I, I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't grown more, to be quite honest. I think the UIL push hopefully will help. But I mean, they've been talking about UIL water polo since I was in high school, probably since before that, quite honestly. So I kind of was in the the, the corner of like, okay, it's never going to happen. Like it's, they've been talking about this for 20 plus years. And um, so hopefully now that will push it towards even more growth. But I would say that's the primary thing that I noticed. Why do you think it hasn't grown? Um, you know what? I, I, I don't know, quite honestly. I think there weren't as many clubs back then. There are more now. So maybe there's um, more opportunity to play. I think our younger kiddos are getting in there and playing more, which is fun. Um, so I think more targeted uh, youth growth is probably where we need to focus. Um, get them in early and make them love it. So they don't have to wait till high school like most of us did that are my age. <laughs> Can you even imagine the sport being UIL? Because it just, you know, Tiska's done a very good job. And I'm frankly proud to be associated with it because it started girls water polo about 20 years before California did. And, uh, mm. and it has its ups and downs. Obviously, there's been, uh, you know, some disputes amongst the community and so on. But Tiska's actually done a quite good job it's done a good enough job with high school water polo in Texas that a lot of people, in fact, Joe was just on a podcast with a couple guys in Missouri. They were still confused that this is currently a club sport. It's not a sanctioned sport. Um, and so I wonder if you, you can even imagine what it would be like, you know, if it were a UIL sport back in, back in your day. No, I mean, I think we would have garnered a little more respect. I remember like when we were, um like my senior year our boys and girls team won state and right. we of course were like over the moon and really excited and thought it was this gigantic accomplishment and like state championship which it is obviously um but like you could have fooled anybody at side creek they weren't super impressed you know like it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't football it wasn't basketball it wasn't baseball so it was like what even is water polo you know so and of course we did we got you know some accolades and things from the school but it just so I imagine it's going to just give it a little more clout, you know, for yeah. um, the kids, which I think is great. Uh, they deserve the respect because it is hard, you know, and they work really, really hard. And, um, you know, anybody who tries it knows that it's not easy. So you just give me your impressions because I've, we've been talking to people about the history of the game here in the state and uh, the, and I've been told by multiple athletes, multiple coaches that, let's say um, that the state championship match in let's say 1986 was just as big and exciting as it has been in the last, you know, five to six years. I wonder if that's your recollection as well. Yeah. I mean, it felt huge. I remember like <laughs> when we would play Clear Lake back in the day, cause they were like one of the powerhouses when I was first in high school when I was younger and they had this guy that would play the tr a trombone <laughs> in the middle of every quarter and in the middle of every time out and they would bang on pots and pans and I still can hear the sound in my head I mean it was like this just you know so there was it was definitely like a hyped up situation and that was when state was in Corpus Christi at the brand new Corpus Christi pool or even we it was at A&M my senior year so it felt really big and that pool was really new so I mean it, certainly there was you know the same energy around it um you know fans are fans and parents are parents so <laughs> 
that's, that's great. Yeah, because I obviously I wasn't around, so it's like not not something that I know about. So I'm I'm very curious about that. Um, so again, state champion MVP. So then Iona was next, but te- you know, maybe share a little bit about how that decision making went, like who who recruited you and so on. Yeah, so my senior year I started looking at colleges, obviously, and um, this was before technology. So we were literally writing letters and having phone calls on landlines and things. So the recruiting process was much different. Um, but John Webb was really the one who who encouraged me to pursue collegiate water polo. I, you know, had thought about it, but I also was not like, you know, I, I wasn't quite sure that I was good enough to go and play in college, quite honestly. So um, I was a little timid about that, but he really pushed me to into the recruiting process. And um, once I started, you know, talking with coaches and stuff, I and going on trips and things, I landed at Iona just because it felt like a really, I, I ended up really liking it on my recruiting trip. I liked the people I was with. I ended up going on a recruiting trip with um, a girl who ended up being the goalie there as well. And um, so we both, you know, committed together. And so it just, it just felt right when I went there. It was small enough, um, you know, that it wasn't overwhelming, but it was close to the city and fun and you know, kind of adventure, but that was really, it was John Webb was the one who pushed me into the recruiting process. So. Well, let's back up a little bit. Cause that's interesting. I don't know John Webb. Tell us a little bit about your experience with him and how he has had an impact on the game in the state. I mean, I haven't heard his name quite that often, you know, that often recently when we talk about like Texas water polo and the history of it. And for me, maybe I'm obviously it's my personal experience, but like for me, like he's been around for a long time and he was primarily a swimming guy also. Um, but he developed and maintained that program at Side Creek for a really long time before Sharar went there. And then before Chandler obviously is there now. So, um, and then after he retired, he got heavily into officiating and is, was really responsible for in my, from my perspective, at least for growing the officials association into what it is now and I know that a lot of changes have been made in the past couple of years and they were necessary and things and we still need more and it still needs to be better but he's really good at like getting new people in and like kind of holding their hand through the process so um I don't know he's just dedicated a lot of time and energy to the sport both coaching and you know officiating and you know I think he deserves a little pat on the back for that so and and you know he's like I said, he was always super encouraging to us and um, allowing us to develop into players and, and pushing us to be better. So I appreciate that about him. He was the one who apparently pushed you toward Iona in particular, or at least, or you tell me, like, was he just simply open-minded about you going to play collegiate water polo somewhere? Um, I'm curious because there's something of a little pipeline between Texas and Iona, and I don't really understand it. Yeah, so he was. He really wanted me to just go play, and he wasn't picky about where. We, when I started looking at Iona, this is a little kind of funny actually. Um, Jocelyn, her name Vincent now, but Jocelyn Chapman, who graduated the year before and was played at St. Agnes. They were St. Agnes was like our bitter rival in high school. We were, they were, it was Side Creek and St. Agnes for my latter years in high school, and and they were our mortal enemies, you know. Um, and so when I went I Jocelyn ended up going to Iona she graduated like I said the year before me and so when I went on my recruiting trip I was like well you know if this place is good enough for Jocelyn it must be good enough because she was a really she's spectacular she's a great athlete really great water polo player so I'm like man 
this must be a good school if she chose to go here, you know? Um, so she was part of, quite honestly, part of the reason. And then I went on my recruiting trip and Brian Kelly, the coach said, okay, I'm going to go drop you off with Jocelyn. And I was like, oh, no, we're not friends. I mean, we're, no, that's going to be awkward. <laughs> like, we're not friends. Um, and then, of course, she became one of my greatest friends and is the reason that I'm at St. Agnes now. So, you know, it, it came kind of full circle. But um, she's not the reason that I went to Iona, but that I think, uh, and there was a girl before her that came from Texas as well that went and swam in Iona. So that pipeline sort of, I think, developed way back when. So um, sorry, I'm seeing so. That's all right. <laughs> it, you just snuck in something. So she, you said that she was the reason you're at St. Agnes. To tell, tell us more about that. She is, yeah. So um, when I graduated college, I moved back home. I started working in a completely different field. I was not, didn't intend to go into teaching and coaching. Um, she did. She went and got, um, well, she she taught science and at St. Agnes, but before that, she was the swimming and water polo coach at St. Agnes. She took that job, and um, when she decided that she was ready to move out of coaching, she got married and started a family, and it just became you know, time for her to move on. She basically forced me into applying for the position. Um, she told me that if I didn't do it, that she would do it for me. <laughs> um, and she was really adamant about um, making sure that when she left the team, she felt comfortable with whose hands she was leaving it in. And we were great friends, obviously, at this point. So um, I applied for the job and that's how I ended up at St. Agnes. And switched my loyalties from Psy Creek to St. Agnes. And you it, must be torn I about know, that. It was, it, I got a little flack from some people, I'm not going to lie. So, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was not, never a place I saw myself being, but that's how I ended up here. And I haven't looked back and I love and, it. So. And what year was that, that your first year at St. Agnes? Uh, 2010. Okay. So 2010. Let's, so let's go back to Iona a bit because uh, I, it's a curious place. Oh, it's funny. I, I don't like inserting. Well, I kind of like inserting my own story. Um, we're trying to look for colleges for my daughter who's 16 right now. And, and I was like, why not Iona? And, and they were like, well, why? And I said, well, cause they're one of the only schools that recruited me. So it's like, I did not get a, a lot of good looks, you know, by, by, by colleges, but they were interested in having me. And for a Southern California, that place is as, as exotic as it could possibly be. Like there was zero <laughs> chance I was going there, zero. So yeah. anyway, but, uh, but you obviously had success there and you were uh, at least recruited by Brian Kelly, who's been there for dog's years. Wow. He's been there for a long time. Um, tell us maybe a couple of your greatest memories on one of those teams and then, but also maybe share a little bit about Brian Kelly himself. Cause again, he's a name that's been around water polo for a long time. He's a Chicago guy, um, but I'm yeah. not sure people really know about him all that much. Yeah. He started the women's program at Iona. So as long as there's been a women's program, he's been there. Um, it was fairly new when I went, it was only in its fourth or fifth year, I think. Um, so I knew, you know, when I went that I could be a potentially like an impact player for the team. And that was something that really, appealed to me hmm. um so yeah I mean I actually also went on alumni weekend on my recruiting trip and that really kind of hooked me in too because really the Iona water polo team has a pretty big um alumni presence it's kind of like a family so um I think that's one thing that Brian does well is maintains that um kind of alumni involvement with the team which is important um in a smaller school that doesn't have gigantic budgets and things like that so um yeah, but that was 
that was kind of how I ended up there. He, Brian, yeah, like you said, has been around for a long time. He is a Chicago guy. So I think in it's, he played at Iona as well. He went, he played for the men's team. So um, he stuck around and got that job and then has been there ever since. But um, yeah, he recruited heavily from Chicago and then kind of branched out into Texas, still does. He's, he's got a couple of Texas girls and boys there now um, and is looking at more. So I think he, like I said, relies on that alumni network, especially those of us that are coaching, to kind of branch out and um, offer, you know, a, a bridge, so to speak, between Iona and our athletes. So, I think it's not unusual at all for an athlete to leave his or her high school and then go on to college and realize, oh, this coach is completely different than the one that I had before. The, t- the <laughs> tactics they teach are different. The techniques they teach are different. So maybe highlight a couple of those things when you showed up and you're like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they definitely. Yeah. I mean, Coach Webb or John Webb and Brian Kelly are very different. I mean, we definitely got yelled at like every once in a while by John Webb, you know, when we were not, focused and things like that but um the tone is a little different when you get to college you know obviously the competition is a little bit different the expectations are different so um that was a not necessarily a shock but it was something to get used to right is the way that um maybe your coach communicates with you in college it was it's a little more direct I would say (laughs) um so uh you know there's that and then yeah like just learning like actual plays going from high school where you know we had a solid team, but we didn't have, you know, a team where we were like running plays and things. So the first time I got a playbook, I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) I was like, this is okay. We're going to do this. So, um, you know, that was a new, um, definitely a new thing for me. Um, yeah. And I mean, I don't know, it was just, it's definitely just a different level, but you get exposed to more competition. We were able to, um, travel and play some big name schools, which was really fun. Um, it's always fun to get your butt kicked by future Olympians, you know. Right, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, um, a good time. When did you realize you were good? Oh, um, gosh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> That's a hard question. For you me do answer, understand so. that you were good, right? Like you're, you're yeah. not so okay. You're not so modest as to say that. Oh no, you're not in any. Oh game. yeah. I definitely experienced some success. I think um, probably in, I mean, in high school, like, okay, I can tell you this. We were, <laughs> when I was, it was, I can't remember if it was my freshman or my sophomore year, but we were at the state championship tournament. We were going to the championship game and we were at, you know, a hotel and we probably weren't in our rooms when we were supposed to be in our rooms and our, they were doing room checks and our assistant coach came and found me and, you know, some of my friends, we were in our rooms and she was yelling at us all the way down the hallway and pointed, turned around, pointed her finger at me and said, you're starting in the state championship game tomorrow. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm starting? And then what? And the, she's like, yeah, and, you know, yelled at me. And I thought, oh, okay. Like, I think that was my freshman year. So I felt like, oh, like, it was the first time anybody had held me accountable for something that, you know, for my potential, I guess. Um, so probably maybe then, and then it just kind of pushed me to continue exploring that potential, I guess. And you said you had your doubts about playing collegiate water polo. So you show up at Iona and I'm, I'm, you know, for those of us who've actually done this, it's, it's can be really intimidating. I'm wondering if you felt intimidated. And then again, when did you sort of figure out, oh, I can actually do this and not only do it, but do it well. 
Yeah, I was definitely intimidated. I had, I was in the mindset that I, there was no way I could play like in California. You know, I just, for some reason, have that in my, my brain. Sometimes I think about that going back. I think I ended up at the right place, but, um, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, would have been fun to try, you know? Um, so I always encourage my girls now, like to, like, there are no boundaries, like, you know, cast the net wide and you'll figure out where you're supposed to be. But so yeah, at Iona, there are for, <laughs> Our first game that we played was a super competitive game. We played against Hartwick, and that was, like, one of our big rivals. They were a really strong program. They lost their um, program recently, which is a bummer. But, um, you know, Brian held me back in the van before the game, after we were going in. He, you know, was, like, giving me this pep talk about how I need to, like, play really hard and get really intense at the very beginning. And I was like, yeah, 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 I got this. And I got um, ejected, excluded in, like, the first 30 seconds of the game. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, like, not like that. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Like, I mean, I didn't do anything like overly aggressive, but I was just, you know. Yeah, sure. You know, just being a little overzealous maybe (laughs) in the very beginning. So, um, and it was a really competitive game, but we lost. And I remember being like kind of heartbroken. We hadn't lost a game in a while, but like I was like heartbroken by that loss. And it sort of like motivated me, but um, and then there was probably, we played against, uh, Wagner in one of the next games and they had these pair of twins that were over six feet tall and big girls. And it was the first time that I'd ever been like out muscled. And that was a big, um, that was a big shock to me. I was like, Oh, okay. There are people that are stronger than me and I'm going to have to not rely on just that like size and muscle and actually develop some skill here so that was a big thing in college as well as just like skill development and realizing that there's always somebody faster and stronger and smarter than you in the pool and it is your job to figure out how to you know work or play against them essentially so right Okay, our typical end of show wrap up. We've got a couple other things. I wanted to make mention of one thing before we go into a little scheduling. Um, my, uh, I, I know these guys at All Access Water Polo. I don't know them well. I've spoken to them once on the phone. In fact, I tried to recruit them, but they wanted to do their own thing. Fair enough. They had a conversation with Alec Rolsa. Um, I think it came out on Monday. I'm not sure. Maybe the day before. That's a conversation worth listening to. Like, he's a very good talker. Like, he is very interesting. He knows his stuff. He's got a very unique perspective. He grew up in Europe, in the Netherlands, came up through that, you know, that kind of water polo programming. And then it had tremendous success at UCLA, three national championships, and then made the 2016 um, Olympic team. So... They, they go over a bunch of territory that he he's really interesting. So anyway, I commend that to people to listen to after they listen to this podcast. But yes, go go listen to that one. Um, what else is on the calendar coming up for um, for us in Texas? Uh, for this week, we have our Southwest Zone Town Hall meeting. It's about Masters Water Polo. That's again on Tuesday, July 21st at 6.30 p.m. So if you did not get a chance to watch that, please go back and watch it at txwaterpolo.com. And on Thursday, July 23rd at 12.30 p.m., we have Coach Kai Halfer from Clear Creek High School in Southeast Houston, who is going to be talking about, um, you know, kind of running a successful UIL high school program, you know, kind of once, kind of, kind of once we start in fall 2020, kind of his plan of, uh, of attack from recruiting athletes to, you know, taking advantage of this, of the strength and conditioning and the sports specific training that the UIL allows teams to 
um, you got to have kind of during the summer and also the the restrictions that are that are going to come with you coach high school water polo in the in the UL you were going to be restricted from coaching your athletes outside your season to a certain extent that is a show that I will watch like that is because I'm fascinated by that that the, just the switch from essentially being a club program to something that's more sanctioned by the state it has its uh, you know it, ha- it has its requirements yeah I, I'm really looking forward to that all right well Joe, you're done moving, but thank you for uh, hanging out with us today. Yeah, we're your nice people. <laughs> All right, thanks again to Caitlin Kelly, I hope, um, for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you to listen. Thank you for listening and telling a friend about the TX Waterpool podcast. And special thanks to our fabulous donors who keep us afloat. And if you want to contribute, go to txwaterpolo.com forward slash give. Until next week, so long from Austin. This has been a production of TWP Sports LLC.